from Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, if you're getting tired of us talking about the skilled players and the skinny guys that run around and catch passes on the outside and the defensive playmakers in the secondary, well, this is the podcast for you. We're getting into the offensive line, the big uglies, and we're doing it with an eight-year NFL veteran and a legend at the University of Miami. Rashad Butler joins us on Drive Time today to break down all things Dolphins offensive line. He's going to tell us how much better he expects those second-year players to get, the impact of the rookies and Liam Eikenberg, how Matt Skura fits in, all of that and a heck of a lot more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. So we had the schedule release podcast earlier this week, but today's episode of the podcast, we have a former NFL stud, eight years in the league, former Miami Hurricane, former local radio guy down here in South Florida. He knows the game. He knows the position. He knows this team. He knows this area. Let's not waste any more time. Welcome my guest in to this edition of Drive Time, Rashad Butler. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is former Hurricane star and eight-year NFL veteran, retired of course, Rashad Butler. And Rashad, I think the last time I saw you, bro, was the Heat game around Christmas 2019. It's been a minute. How the hell have you yeah, been? Man. man, I've been great. And it's funny uh, that because the last you saw me, I think I might have weighed maybe about... Uh, 200 and maybe 90 or 85 pounds and now i'm down a whopping 40 40 pounds man to 245 man listen i have not been this light uh since i can remember i think the last time i might have been this light may have been when i first school in 1997 98 ish like when i was uh just leaving middle school just leaving middle school i was gonna suggest high school oh my goodness (laughs) yeah so, yeah, yeah, man. I see those stories all the time. I think like Nick Hardwick had a really good like post-career transformation where he dropped uh-huh. a bunch of weight. First of all, congratulations. I probably should get that out of the way first. But what did you do, man? What was the secret? To be honest with you, so I watched this Netflix documentary called Game Changers. And it talked about the uh, benefits of athletes as far as uh, as far as high-performing athletes uh, going to a all plant, uh, plant-based diet. And so that really interests me. And I said, you know what, let me just ease into it because one thing I've learned from prior experiences, it's always harder to kind of go full fledged into something rather than just easing into it. So I eased into it a little bit as far as eating more uh, plant-based foods here and there. And then I want to say maybe within a month or so, uh, I was you know still continuing to work out, but within about a month or so, I found out that I transferred to nothing but plant-based. And now I've been all plant-based since I want to say maybe August 2020. So August of last year. So uh, I'm coming uh, up on about a a year uh, this August. It's crazy. You must feel incredible. Like as far as the difference for just lethargicness and, and being more active, like you have to feel incredible, I imagine. Oh, no, I do. And it's crazy because I got my blood work done for the first time in I want to say maybe uh, a few years and my levels all around with everything was just 
outstanding. I mean, the doctor looked at my bloods and said, he's like, listen, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep it up. And it's funny because I remember watching the documentary and that was, I think, one of the main things uh, a lot of the athletes that they documented said on there was uh, how their blood work was just amazing uh, just because blood was just flowing uh, a lot better throughout their entire body. Man, I, I watched a documentary a while back and they were talking about plant-based diets and how it can combat mm-hmm. serious disease. And I, from that moment and the, the more literature I come across or the more information I come across, it's, it's the way to go, but I'm such a creature of habit and I'm so, I almost want to say addicted to certain foods. You wouldn't know by looking at me, but meat's mm-hmm. a big part of that, man. Like it's, it's so commendable to be able to make that step because it's like throwing away a lifestyle you've known, like you mentioned for so long, especially a, yeah. a person like that has to, you know, maintain a certain level of weight like you did for so long. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's mind blowing to me, man. Like congrats again. Thanks, man. Thanks. Of course. Let's, let's talk about professionally now. Like what's, what's, what's okay. coming up for you down the pipe and what have you been up to? I know, I think we mentioned the last time we hung out was because we had tickets to the heat game from 790. Yeah. What are you doing these days? Well, the last time I was actively on the air uh, down in South Florida, and I say down in South Florida because uh, I currently live in West Palm Beach, uh, okay. where I'm from, uh, was, I want to say you're right when the season ended because I was doing the post game for the Miami Dolphins and I was doing the pregame for the Miami Hurricanes. So I watched a lot of uh, Jalen Phillips and a lot Ooh. of the other guys that got drafted this past year from the University of Miami. But currently now I'm a free agent and I love it because uh, I'm actually relocating to Arizona uh, this summer. Uh, one thing about me, uh, I'm accustomed to change uh, to where I can't sit anywhere for a long period of time. Like if I feel stagnant, I feel like I have to decide, OK, I need something new. I need a new challenge. So uh, I've always loved uh, Arizona, uh, the Scottsdale, Phoenix, Tempe area. Uh, even when we first went out there in 2003, when I played in the Fiesta Bowl, I mean, I hate to bring that that bowl game up, but <laughs> we stayed in Scottsdale for, I want to say, I think about a good seven or 10 days. And man, I just loved it out there. And I said, you know, when I get a chance, I want to live out here. And again, I said that years ago, not knowing, you know, if, if I was ever going to get that chance. And here it is. I have that chance. So I'm taking full advantage of it. You definitely prefer warmer climates. That is for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I had an opportunity. Uh, anyone that knows me knows I love Toronto. But man, I mean, nope. <laughs> yeah, the winters are just, it's, it's too much, man. I said, listen, I would just venture to Toronto in the summertime. Yeah, not going to, weather is great. Not going to happen. Not not going to work yeah. here anymore. Not going north of the border. I'm down here. It's a little <laughs> bit toasty, but, I, you know, I'm getting used to it. It's. I always tell my wife, it's better than the 30 degree, you know, months we have back to back to back up there in the Northwest. So mm-hmm. one thing you do not prefer, Rashad, my first topic I wanted to get into here and, and yeah, before your real area of expertise on the offensive mm-hmm. line, there's something I had to bring up to you because mm-hmm. I know you're hot about it. <laughs> it's the Jersey numbers. Now, aside from the traditionalist view, I was hoping you could explain for the people out there why this could make things a little more challenging when it comes to like on the football field, because personally mm-hmm. at training camp, for instance, it's already very tough to keep track of 90 players running around and, and make notes and, and keep up and, and take good notes. But I think this will only increase the difficulty of that. So selfish, selfishly, because of that, 
you know, and trying to track substitutions from the press box from the opposing team on game day. I'll have the Dolphins numbers memorized, but the opposition is going to be tough for me. So tell us how that might be a tough adjustment when it comes to on the field when you're trying to ID Mike linebackers and find out where the rushers might be coming from. Like, what's what's the biggest hangup you have there? So the first team that I knew of that really started to tinker with the jersey numbers on the defensive side of the ball were the Baltimore Ravens when they had Rex Ryan and uh, Marvin Lewis. And they used to have a lot of their edge rushers that weren't, I guess, typically um, identified as outside linebackers with, you know, these exotic, like, you know, linebacker numbers and numbers in the 40s and things of that nature. And what it did was it caused a lot of confusion because they were so good at putting guys uh, at different spots as far as, you know, they may have a guy with a, a 40-something number lined up right over the nose tackle, but you knew, like, that guy's, not a, uh, that guy's not a linebacker because, you know, just his body type was a little bit bigger. So uh, it causes a lot of confusion for the offensive line and for the quarterback to uh, make IDs and adjustments and so forth. And again, like I said, that was the first team I remember back when I was playing that did it and it really caused a lot of consternation for us and i mean we spent a lot of hours in our meeting rooms leading up to uh that game just you know trying to create certain rules for you know certain i mean for certain jersey numbers so it causes a lot of consternation for like i said the offensive line and the quarterback it makes a ton of sense that rex ryan would do that because he was kind of and correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the originators of that amoeba package where you kind of, uh-huh, shoot, yeah, so perfect. It makes total sense that he would go for that. That's actually yeah. really smart. <laughs> so <laughs> perfect. But, uh, you know, to kind of tie this back together, Rashad, I was going to make this comment to you before I learned about your weight loss, but I was going to compliment mm-hmm. you and say, I think you could rock the single digit just fine now. Get my man that number eight jersey. So when he goes out and pancakes number 72 on the other side of the ball, it looks funky in the jersey numbers, but we know who is really doing yeah. the work there. But, you know, let's, let's go ahead and transition here into what we really want to talk to you about, Rashad, is it's the offensive line and and jump into the 2021 season. These Dolphins have been very busy this offseason. Actually, before we get to the offensive line, let's do this. Let's okay. let's give me your comprehensive Dolphins offseason thoughts. What did you think about the direction of this team now as they're kind of heading into the third season under Brian Flores? You, you high on them? You low on them? Where do you come in on this Dolphins operation? I'm high. And the reason I'm high is because, like myself, I'm a big planner. And I like to stick to my plan. And I just respect so much what Greer and Flores both have done as a partnership as far as mapping out a plan from day one when Brian Flores was hired and sticking to that plan. And I know for a lot of fans, uh, you know, when they see guys like Kyle Van Noy get cut or guys like Shaq Lawson get cut, it makes them kind of, you know, say, hmm, I don't like that cut. It makes no sense. But Again, these two has these two have had a plan, uh, and I'm referring to Greer and Flores from day one, and they're sticking to that plan. I think that plan is maximizing the value at every position, and at the same time building depth. And when Flores came in, I think Flores, what he was trying to do was he was trying to find out, okay, how many guys can I acquire for the cheap? and find out who really wants to play this brand of football offensively and defensively. And once he found out, out, he kept a lot of those guys. You know, we saw last year he brought a a lot of guys in that he felt uh, could play that type of football. But at the same time, you know, I think Chris Greer was there to be uh, fiscally smart and say, listen, you know, this is what we want to do. 
and you know we're going to do it and we may make some tough decisions that people may not like but at the end of the day if it's bettering our team and what i mean by that is if we're able to let uh cut loose of a guy like Caliban Noah who was a great team leader and played some great ball here for the Miami Dolphins in that one year but at the same time you know we need to get a guy like Andrew Van Ginkle who's a lot younger you know what i mean who is you know entering the prime of his NFL career with more snaps so again i get it so I love everything they've done thus far, and I think the future is very, very bright for this organization. For those of you that are new to Drive Time or you know never heard Locked On Dolphins, I used to do radio with Zach and Rashad weekly. It seemed like Rashad, we yeah. were always talking, uh-huh. and I- I'm telling you, like that, it's kind of feeling like it's coming back right now because you, what you uh, just described was the thesis of this monologue I had on Wednesday's podcast. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday. It comes out mm-hmm. Friday. You're going to hear it, but the last podcast I did, I talked about what you just talked about. And you were way, way more concise than I was, so good on you for that. But, man, I'm so excited. And, of course, a lot of those moves and activity have come up front on the offensive line. Again, your bread and butter, eight years in the NFL. Let's go ahead and start and break this thing down with the newcomers. And let's go ahead and start with the draft. Second round, 42nd pick in the draft. Dolphins come up eight spots to select Notre Dame's Liam Eichenberg. And I want to just get your breakdown on his game. Like, what do you think he does best? Where can he use some improvement? Where does he factor into this team? And I have to imagine, Rashad, you are a fan of the technique of this kid. Listen, you hit it right on the head. I was going to say that because one thing about me, I wasn't the biggest guy. Uh, anyone that knows my career, I played in the uh, Shanahan and Kubiak uh, system which is very wide zone heavy. And a lot of us up front, you know, we were at the most, maybe I would say 310 or lighter. I think the biggest guy we had at the time was Dwayne Brown, who I think was like 320. But, you know, being that light, you have to play with uh, great technique. And when I I watch uh, Liam Eichenberg, he just plays with great technique and he's consistent with it, man. And, you know, he's a guy that he's not an overly big guy. And I was surprised that the Dolphins, you know, drafted him so high because you know if you look at what the Dolphins I guess look for in their offensive alignment they look for guys that are big like guys that are about 320 plus you know what I mean I think the smallest guy right now was what Matt Skura if I'm not mistaken but I mean you know other than that I mean everybody else is like about 315 plus you know so I was surprised when they got him but you know the more I watched his film you know I got a chance to watch him a little bit throughout the season I said listen it makes sense because this guy is technically sound and one thing I believe along your offensive line is your tackles have to be not only athletic, but they have to be the most technically sound uh, along the line of scrimmage because those guys are going up against some freak athletes, whether it's, you know, outside linebackers standing up, or whether it's, you know, defensive ends who look like Miles Garrett, who can run, you know, a four, six, four, five, and a 40. So you need those guys to be technically sound uh, consistently. He's going to get some education through Emmanuel Ogba and Jalen Phillips, too, because we talk about yeah. the athletic ability of Phillips. My goodness, that dude can bend. He can he can run the arc. He's got an arsenal of pass rush moves. That's for another podcast for another day. But you talk <laughs> about Liam Eikenberg. It's, I'm glad you, you mentioned the size thing because, you know, you mentioned 320. That's about where Austin Jackson is. Rob Hunt's pushing mm-hmm. 330. Uh, yep. Solomon Kinley's 340. Uh, DJ Fluker, 340. And, yeah. and Eric Flowers was here last year, was also in that same range. So he's different. But like you mentioned, I think he was probably... 
if not the top one of the top two or three plug and play tackles in this class so I have to imagine he gets a real good shot to start at right tackle on opening day we go to the end of the draft and the other side of the offensive line Larnell Coleman played left tackle at UMass Rashad I'm not sure if you got much UMass tape in you over the time we <laughs> talked about this podcast but this kid's an athletic player played basketball has a crazy wingspan what did you notice in his game you know I haven't got a chance to watch any UMass film, but I did some research on him. And the one thing that stands out to me, and I have this this issue, which is a, a good issue to have when you're playing uh, tackle in, a, uh, in, in the NFL, is he has some long arms. Yes. <laughs> and you want your tackles to have arm length because that is very important when, like I said, you're responsible for creating the width of uh, the pocket. And one thing I heard, uh, in the interview you did with him that I think makes a lot of sense. And I encourage more offensive linemen to go this route when they are younger. And I understand it's kind of hard to, I guess, know you're going to play offensive line. You grow up because no one wants to play that position. But, you know, I remember him saying in your interview that he looked, uh, he looked at the offensive line position more to playing defense in basketball. And it is because a lot of my great footwork that I had uh, throughout my career came from playing basketball. Uh, after I played baseball, I played basketball for quite some time. I played basketball a little bit in high school and, and, and so forth. And uh, I actually accustomed my great, you know, uh, footwork uh, throughout my career. Uh, I mean, due to that time playing basketball. So when he said that, I said, listen, I said, I know for a fact this kid is going to be able to mirror a lot of great athletes that uh, play on the outside that he's going to be uh, going up against in the NFL. I love the way he put it. He talked about it's like, it's like playing defense where you stay in between your man and the basket. It's like staying between your man and the quarterback. That's all it is. I actually heard, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said the exact same thing about Liam Eikenberg. Like you're going to find him between your quarterback and the pass rusher. And that's the only thing you can do as an offensive lineman. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a cool philosophy. I think he's got, he definitely has some developing to do. Obviously a UMass kid kind of raw, rough around the edges, but he's in a good program for it. Lemuel Jean-Pierre is a good coach for it. So looking forward to seeing what he can do this season. Like I told you earlier, training camp is only a few months away, man. I can't, I can't wait to see this freaking team on the field. I can't wait. And so, and two more reasons, you know, I'm excited about it is a couple more additions on the offensive line. And we go to Baltimore, a couple of guys that defected from Baltimore. Is that the right word? I don't know. But Matt Scurry, you mentioned him earlier in the pivot, center, the center position, kind of a, a position that this team maybe him and maybe Michael Dieter could compete for that spot. We'll find mm-hmm. out what happens. But I went back and watched his tape in 2019. He was a damn good player, just kind of ran into some snap issues last year. What did you see on tape with Matt Scurry? Very physical. Uh, and I like this. I have nothing uh, against Ted Karras. I think Ted Karras did a great job last year as far as holding that offensive line together and getting guys uh, along the offensive line on the right guys because I think Ted Karras showed that he was very, very smart. And I think, you know, Matt Scurry is a very smart center as well because, listen, the play in the NFL – at that position, you have to be a smart guy. I mean, you have to know everything about the opposing defense as much as the quarterback does, the guy who you're snapping the ball to. Like, you and him have to be on the same page. But I just think Matt Scurry plays a more physical brand of football, uh, the brand of football that I think Brian Flores and Chris Greer want to play up front. And you're starting to see it in the guys that they not only drafted last year, but the guys that they drafted this year. Uh, and even the guys that they brought in as far as Matt Scarra and uh, DJ Fluku, who I think is a very, very physical guy. I think, you know, my only (laughs) gripe with DJ Fluku is, you know, at times I think he tries to use his physicality 
uh, too much and he kind of gets beat uh, by a lot of quicker guys. But listen, once he gets his hands on you, I mean, it's a wrap, man. It is a wrap. So I like what the Dolphins are doing because, again, I think they mapped out a plan by saying, listen, we want a physical offensive line with beef that is going to be able to not only protect our quarterback, but move guys off the ball and take over a game late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. And they're doing that with the guys they brought in. And DJ signed last year to play for a team that just runs the ball down your throat, obviously where Matt yes. came from too. And that's kind of what they do, right? They push guys off uh-huh. the football. They create space. I saw a tape uh, against the Steelers. I think it was last year. And Matt Skura had reps against, you know, uh, Cameron Hayward inside. He was winning those reps and getting out on the edge against TJ Watt and winning some of those yeah. reps too. So it's, it's, it's there. We just got to find out if we can, can cultivate it and get it to come come to fruition down here in Miami. Now, those are the newcomers along with uh, Robert Jones, an undrafted free agent out of Middle Tennessee mm-hmm. State who Emery Hunt was on the podcast and he was very, very pumped up about him last week. Cameron Tom is an interesting futures contract signing this offseason as well. I'm curious to get a good look at him in training camp. Let's go ahead and jump to that part of the calendar, Rashad. Again, training mm-hmm. camp, it's like opening new gifts, man. You get to see all these <laughs> products you've invested into and in terms of getting to know their game, their trajectory. And that's where I think this really starts with this group. And let's go ahead and start with those big three from last year, who I think are really going to determine how good this offensive line can be. Two very highly drafted kids in Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt, and then also Solomon Kinley in the fourth round, who might have had the best rookie season of the three. We'll go ahead and start with Austin, though. First year, all left tackle reps, ups and downs. I think he came back Mm -hmm. off the injury and maybe struggled a little bit, but then picked it back up. What did you see from his game? And what about his game gave you a bunch of confidence going forward? Well, first off, you know, I have to commend the way that all three of those guys play because I came into a league where uh, the only time you were playing, it was two instances, whether you were drafted in the first round, because back then, uh, when I came in in 2006, uh, guys in the second round, third round, and, 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 uh, and, and lower, those guys weren't playing unless someone got injured, which is my second, you know, scenario, but Nowadays, you're seeing guys like Solomon Kinley who are drafted in the fourth round who are, you know, getting a lot of reps. But to stay on Austin Jackson, one thing I think he did very well this year was use his athleticism to his advantage. I mean, there was times where he was out of position, but the guy is just so athletic for his size. He was able to recover. And again, I, I don't think a lot of fans understand how hard it is to come in a league that is just full of talent and a high performing business and to be a rookie and have to play, you know, the toughest position on the offensive line. So I think he held his own. I mean, again, I mean, he had growing pains, but that's expected when you have a rookie playing that position that's entrenched as the starter pretty much uh, for day one. I mean, I'll say this. I think one thing he can improve on is just becoming more technically sound uh, consistently as far as in the passing game because there were times, you know, we've seen that Denver game where, you know, hey, I mean, I like to say he was in the Matrix. I mean, it, it happens to yeah. every young player to where, you know, you have one bad rep and it's just, it's it, it snowballs, you know what I mean? But I think for him, with his athleticism and the experience he has, if he can just refine his technique and become a consistent uh, pass blocker, then I think sky's the limit because in the running game, he mauls people in the running game. He, he, he really does. So, the sky's the limit for him. It, it started, really is. It started earlier in that Denver game for him. The first rep, he got beat. I think, it, like you mentioned, it kind of snowballed from there. And that's a yeah. great pass rushing team with an even better defensive coordinator or a guy that calls the defense in Vic Fangio. So it's to be expected. You also mentioned yeah. the fact that you know his technique could use some refinement. 
third youngest player in the NFL last year. He's 21 years old, so you have to imagine that gets better as well. So I'm encouraged, like you mentioned. Let's go ahead and move on to the next guy I want to talk about here, the other side, and maybe he kicks into guard this year. Maybe he plays tackle. We'll find out again in August. Rob Hunt, and I thought, you know, towards the end of the year, I, I mentioned that on a previous podcast, I recently rewatched all the December games and the offense kind of hit a wall. And that was not just the offensive line. It was everybody like that. The skill yeah. players kind of started getting injured and the offensive line kind of gave up more pressures and the quarterback play kind of dropped off a little bit, just was a rough offensive month for this team. And they wind up 10 and six, just on the outside mm-hmm. of the playoffs. But I thought Rob hunt of that group was one guy that kind of ascended through that back end of the season. Did you see the same thing? Uh-huh. No, I did. I think, you know, for him, I think he benefited so much from you know he came in from a I don't want to say lower level school but you know he came in from a school that wasn't playing top tier competition on a weekly basis as in Austin Jackson and uh Solomon uh did as far as at USC in Georgia so I think the Dolphins say you know what we he's this guy in I mean hey if he comes out guns blazing then we'll start him from week one but I don't think that was the case and I think he had his growing pains in, in training camp but I think what he did was he uh, said, you know what, I'm going to learn and I'm going to get better each and every day. And I think Brian Flores and that coaching staff, they saw that in the minute they felt like, OK, this guy, he's reaching his stride. We're going to put him in there. And we saw it because, I mean, the San Francisco game, I mean, he's going up against a guy, Eric Armstead, which, you know, I think he did a, a great job as a rookie facing a guy that, you know, I mean, could have easily been all pro. I mean, I don't know if he was or not, but I mean, hey, I mean, he's a guy that could have been easily in. Uh, the discussion to be a defensive uh, all pro this year. And I just think from that game forward, I mean, he just gained confidence and he just took off with it. And I think he is the one among those, uh, those other two that I think he had the best season as a rookie, as far as, you know, from the time he stepped in until the end of the season. He, his first rep was a long arm pass rush from Toronto, from Eric Armstead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And he, he just handled it. He put him on the ground. Yeah. I was like, uh-huh. wow, first rep as an NFL pro as far as he, he came off the bench for a couple of heavy packages early on, but that was his first start. And that was like, whoa, yeah. that's, that's alarming. Um, real quick before you jump on to Solomon Kinley here, you know, if he does make that move from right tackle to right guard in his second season, you know, with your experience, Rashad, how difficult is that to make a position change, you know, early in your career? Is it as hard as folks want to make it out to be? Is it a little bit easier? Like, what do you think? To me, it depends on if you took those type of reps in college. So for me, uh, I didn't have a hard time switching from right to left tackle because in college, before I became a starter, uh, I was doing a lot of cross training. So even though I became a starter at right tackle, uh, there were times in practice that, you know, if I wasn't taking starter reps at right tackle, I was taking starter reps at left tackle just in case someone got hurt. So, uh, again, I'm pretty sure he played uh, played a little bit of both in college. Now, again, I don't know if Miami was cross-training him in practice throughout the season. But for him, I don't think the transition should be hard. But I ha- I, I, I do know this. Going from tackle to guard if you're physical and one thing about Robert Hunt that I love is he is just so damn physical is that <laughs> it should be easier because the action starts a lot faster. Usually at tackle uh, guys that are very, very physical, they have a hard time being paid have to be patient because action doesn't come to you uh, as fast as it does when you're playing guard. So I think for a guy as physical as him, I think the transition is going to be easier because it to be able to get Pause and those big big mitts on you know guys like Aaron Donald and somebody and, and some of these great studs uh, at the three technique uh, 
that uh, he's going to be going uh, going up against. It makes a lot of sense because you know usually that that edge rusher off the off the outside can be in that wide nine technique, and so you have yeah. to kind of get that vertical set and get yourself in a position where you can then kind of wait for him to draw the hands out and throw the punch. And I'm sure it gets right. challenging out there. And some guys mm-hmm. are, are good at t- taking that wide nine and turning it into a tight five, but as a rookie with so much going on, maybe that's a lot to ask for. Now you talk about going from one side of the offensive line to the other, and Solomon Kinley for his credit in college, played both sides, but his best production in college was at left guard. I think the easy idea here, as far as what we might project, is that he does make the switch to left guard, and then Rob Hunt plays right guard, uh, right, Solomon's left guard, <laughs> Robert's yeah. right guard, and then Eichenberg right tackle. Uh-huh. I think maybe best case scenario. We'll see what happens. But if he does make that move, that could be a possibility. What did you see in his rookie season, and where can he get better? Well, I'm going to say this as well, too. I think all three of those guys, do a great job of finishing and playing to the whistle and sometimes beyond the whistle. But man, the one guy who does it the most is Solomon. Man. <laughs> I, listen, love I used to love watching him, man, because listen, I know how it is being down there in those trenches and those guys on the opposite, opposite side of the ball, whether it's a defensive lineman or a linebacker, they do not like offensive linemen finishing to the whistle and sometimes going beyond the whistle, but he made so many people upset and you saw it. I'll say this. I even saw it on the TV copy. It was hilarious, but I love that about him because that's something that you can't coach. You you just can't either guy has it or guy doesn't. And that's one thing I love about his game is that, you know, with him, you know, he may get beat. He may be in the wrong position at times, or I should say, you know, he may have guys in the wrong position, but you know that once he gets his hands on you, he is going to finish until the whistle times, even after the whistle. And I love that because, like I just said, that's something that you can't coach. Either guys have it or they don't. Brandon Thorne does a bunch of good stuff on Twitter, and he also has a website. Uh-huh. I'm drawing a blank on the name, but he's been he's been on the podcast before. He always clips off what he calls hashtag punish jumpers when guys try to bat the ball down <laughs> and Solomon is on there so often putting guys on their backside. Yes. It's like you said, yes. it's, I've it's, seen that a couple of times. Listen, he had one against new England. That was nasty, <laughs> nasty, man. I think he had, I think he had another one earlier in the year against, I think it was Buffalo. That was nasty too, man. Yes. I remember I that it. one. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's so like, I'm sure it's different for you, but for me, like I don't really jump out of my chair watching offensive line play a lot. Like I usually just appreciate it. Like I'm not, freaking out but with him it's different like i'm always like oh yes like i love it he's fun to watch man all right rashad we've covered seven of the guys up front i believe mm-hmm. as far as you know incumbents and newcomers and i want to go ahead and make sure we mention jesse davis for his leadership okay. versatility and what he's meant to this team since he got here michael dieter good depth last year he's back tyler gothier gothier i hope i pronounced that right jonathan hubbard we mentioned robert jones adam panky had some snaps last year and heavy personnel Derval, mm-hmm. Kieres, Neto, and I also mentioned Cameron, Tom. 15 players in total. So here I'm going to put you to the screws, Rashad. What's your projection? What you got for an opening day? Uh, who, who makes the opening day roster, and who are your starting five? Okay, so my starting five, I'm going to go from left to right. I think it's going to be, and this is barring no injury sure. uh, during training camp. I'm going to go with Austin Jackson, uh, Solomon Kinley, uh, Matt Skira, uh, Robert Hunt, and I'm going to finish off with uh, Liam Eikenberg. And I think the two uh, players that are going to be dressing um, on game day, oh, man, this is tough. I know. <laughs> it's really tough. Because, <laughs> because, you know, you need a guy that can snap, that has the ability to snap. And I'm going to say this. Um, I think DJ Fluker is a 
big body, strong guy, and I don't see them bringing him in to just let him go unless he just bombs out in training camp. I don't see that happening. I think he's going to be that one guy that is going to be pretty pretty much that can play both guards. And I'm going to say Jesse Davis because I think Jesse Davis just has a lot of versatility. I know Jesse Davis has taken some uh, taking some uh, some center snaps. Now, ideally, you don't want Jesse taking center snaps, but I think if you have to, uh, I think he's a guy that you know you can count on because he's a guy that literally has played every position along the offensive line. And again, I know there's some people that may think that Jesse Davis' time might be up. And I'll say this: I believe that and would have been up if he wasn't as versatile as he is, but. You're talking about a guy that can literally play every position along the offensive line. For me, that has to be one of the guys that is going to dress on game day that's not going to be a starter. And like I said, the reason I believe in DJ Fluker because he's just a big-body guy that fits the mold that they want. I mean, I don't see him beating out either Robert Hunt or uh, Solomon Kinley. If he does, more power to him. But I think he's a guy that can come in if either one of those guys go down with some type of injury. So, again, uh, for the listeners, I go from left to right, Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Matt Skira, um, Robert Hunt, Liam Eichenberg, and the two guys dressing on game day, I would say uh, DJ Fluker and Jesse Davis. And again, I know at times they did dress eight. So, I mean, if they want to yeah. dress eight, then I, I, I'll say it has to be Michael Dieter. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Dieter is a guy that – you know, they just cut bait with because, I mean, it is a business. But at the same time, if they want to dress eight, I think that's the guy that, you know, you can count on to to, to take uh, to take center snaps if uh, Skerritt uh, has his snap, snapping issues again or if he uh, just goes down with the injury. That's my starting five. That's my top eight, too. And I would probably, yeah. I would probably go Larnell Coleman as nine just because of the upside and development. I think you can probably mm-hmm. be one of those guys, like you mentioned, that doesn't dress, but he's protected from the practice squad so he doesn't get plucked. That's a, that's a great group there. I think you mentioned the versatility was the key word you mentioned there because, like, Fluker can play swing tackle and swing guard, right? Like, he can yes. play four spots. You mentioned Jesse Davis last year. Every time they came out for practice – Three guys, three quarterbacks, right? That's how it always goes. Ted Karras, mm-hmm. Michael Dieter, and Jesse Davis was the third center snapping to the to Reed Tanette, third string quarterback. So mm-hmm. there is some cross training there. He could play that position. I think that's the way to go. It's mm-hmm. I love it, Rashad, because you go back just two years ago, those guys you're talking about, Michael Dieter and Jesse Davis, they were like penciled in as surefire starters. Now they're competing for maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth jobs on the roster. It just speaks to, like you mentioned earlier, the depth this team has built over the last couple of years. So Again, man, I'm super excited. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. Rashad no Butler, problem, man. former Hurricane star, eight-year <laughs> NFL veteran. Rashad, we appreciate both your time and expertise so much. Thank you for dropping the knowledge you, on man. us. Where can the folks find you on social? Man, they can find me I'm on Twitter at Rashad, R-A-S-H-A-D, Jamal, J-A-M-A-A-L-B. Uh, don't be afraid to interact with me. I don't interact as much anymore because uh, we are at a – a dead period as far as any off season. But, you know, if I do have something on my mind that, I mean, that's even Dolphins related or football related, uh, I'm not afraid to speak it. But other than that, that's where you can find me at. Great follow, great resource. I mean, won't hold it against you that I moved down here and you moved to the West Coast right when I get down here, man. (laughs) Listen, man, listen, listen, you got to tell me uh, how it is waking up at 
uh, what nine o'clock to watch uh, oh, to man. watch NFL games, man. I mean, I got to get used to that, man. I think the older you get, the better it gets because you're kind of up earlier. <laughs> you're kind of doing stuff. So when I was 21, didn't like it so much. Now I kind of like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks again, Rashad. Be well, my friend. No problem, man. And away he goes. Always a fun podcast talking to Rashad here on the Drive Time Podcast. I want to finish up and read a couple of reviews here you guys left for us on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you guys doing this for us. Helps us climb the podcast charts, gets us more discoverability, more listens, all that fun stuff. This one from Sunoran Desert Dolphin. What more can you ask for? Travis and his team give you all the information a Dolphin needs to stay up and to up to speed on what the team is doing to get back to the top tiers in the league. He is smart, witty, and enthusiastic. Most important of all, the research and work that goes into every podcast speaks to his professional approach that Travis takes to his job. Hashtag fins up. I can't appreciate that more than I do, man. Like, thank you so much because that is the goal of this podcast is to be the most informed Dolphins podcast. I went to the Panthers game earlier this week with video and people from different departments of the stadium. And somebody was debating me in football, and one of our video guys goes, why are you debating with Travis? The guy watches like 40 hours of film a week. So I was so appreciative of that just because of the acknowledgement, and we do put a lot of work into the podcast. And it's not just me, like you mentioned, the whole team here does a great job. Great content from Florio Hater on, on Apple Podcast. I followed you for years, Travis, and I'm so happy you're living your dream. Your delivery of the content is A+, and your growth over the years has been phenomenal. Congrats on your continued success and a great show. Thank you very much for that. This one from Wheels Rollin', the real deal, he says. Been a Dolphins fan since 1970. Travis is the real deal covering the fish. We are lucky to have this cat covering our team. Go get him, Travis. Just listen to the podcast with Coach Flores. Great interview. I get nervous listening to Coach Flores, and you are unwavering. He's just the best coach. I was definitely intimidated because Coach does have a presence to him, but that podcast was great. He was great. Fun stuff. All right, plenty more up there. We'll get to some more of these here later in the summer as we kind of get some more need for content in the future. But as for now, we have plenty for you guys coming down the pipe. And as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.